Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Trinspo. It's episode 10, and as a special, every 10th episode, I'll be here telling one of my own stories, which is pretty exciting for me to be on the other side of the mic. Instead of just getting on and talking about myself, I invited my partner in crime, James Wantamagno, to come on and talk with me about one of my stories that he'll get to learn along the way as I tell it as well. Welcome, James. Hi, Heather. It's amazing to be here. Thank you for inviting me on to interview you. It's going to be very exciting because I don't think I've ever sat down and interviewed you before. Yeah, it'll be the first time I'll be interviewed on this podcast as well, which is super exciting. So just to introduce you to our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your relationship with traveling? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say that I'm your travel partner. Um, in the last three years uh, of our lives together. Uh, Not only that, like we are partners uh, in Seattle here. And yeah, my relationship with travel is really interesting, mostly because I didn't travel a lot as a kid. In fact, I made a very large life decision to move from Ohio to school to Arizona. And that was one of the very first times I traveled by myself to make this huge jump to just say, I'm out of here. I'm out of the Midwest. It's go time. And ever since then, I started to explore that area. And then I had an opportunity for one of my very first jobs out of college to travel internationally, which was my first time ever out of the the country. And I went to Romania for six months. And that just really sparked the light of, of finding so many unique cultures and how easy it was to travel and how it wasn't scary and and it wasn't like movies where planes are blowing up or crazy things are happening and there's snakes everywhere. You know, there wasn't, it wasn't like that. And I got the opportunity after that to join another startup where my main job was to travel and speak professionally at conferences and user groups and help developers build mobile applications. So ever since then, I have been traveling all over the U.S., but also internationally. And since finding you and meeting you and and becoming your partner, we've traveled to so many unique places that I never thought we would. So not only do we have some stories together, but uh, there are some unique stories that you have yet to tell me, or I only know a few little details of and vice versa, actually. Yeah. So now that you know a little bit about me, and since this is your first time being interviewed, I guess you should tell everyone a little bit about why you love travel and what what's your connection to travel itself. I travel vicariously through all my guests on Transpo. <laughs> but aside from that, I do love traveling and I do travel a decent amount in my everyday life. I don't travel for work. I don't travel professionally. I typically only travel for fun or for vacation reasons. In the past, I've traveled and worked abroad, but currently it's only for vacation reasons. And I have a similar story where I traveled around the U.S. a decent amount as a kid, but mostly just road trips. And I went abroad the first time when I was 16, and that really opened my eyes to international travel and what it was like to learn from people in other countries and other cultures. And I really got the travel bug from that trip. And I spent a lot of my college years, especially traveling all over the world, been to over 30 countries, many of those with you as well. And yeah, now that I don't get to travel full time, I still love to take as much time as I can when I have time off to go travel and go experience new places. Yeah. So if you have the opportunity, so you you know, you're traveling a little bit less, obviously, because during school, you're able to travel more. Do you have a goal every year of saying, I want to do X this year, X that year, or are there just random pop-up trips? You know, what's your 
travel schedule like? That's a great question. So I do have a goal every year since I graduated college and started working full time. I have had a goal every year to go at least on one international trip, but I've also had the opportunity to not only try to schedule a trip every year, but to sometimes go kind of spontaneously on trips or accompany you on trips since we've met, since you travel a lot for work and travel can be a little bit of both. So there's typically some planning involved in one or two trips per year, but there's also a little bit of spontaneity. And I also really enjoy travel that doesn't have to be super far from home. I think that you can travel within your own city and discover corners of your own city and of nearby cities, go on a road trip. Travel can take a lot of different forms. So constantly trying to experience new things and find new places is a real passion of mine. And I love to do that as far away from home as possible, but that's just not feasible full time. So I also like to enjoy all the discovery of things near to my home as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And one thing that for me is one of the, there's a lot of favorite things that we've done together, but one of the top things that we have done that didn't involve you know crazy international travel which seems to be big stuff for a lot of people or seem very like uh, unaccomplishable but one thing that we did that was just local here in the city is we took a uh, a little tiny plane uh, over to the San Juan Islands via Kenmore Air which is here in Seattle they they fly a lot of short one hour flights but in planes that hold eight people like those small planes that land on the water yeah seaplane seaplane and that was one of the most unique things that I've ever done even more than international because you're you're just so connected to the plane and to the sea and you get to see the city and your environment in a completely different way. Yeah, I agree. That was an incredible trip and an incredible plane ride. And the plane was one of the coolest experiences. It was so smooth and so low to the ground, but obviously you're still high in the air and just experiencing the towns and islands near you that you've maybe been to before or heard of before, but seeing them from a different angle and really seeing the landscape of the city that you live in is really exciting. Yeah. So you've been on a lot of plane rides, a lot of Mm -hmm. trips, a lot of destinations, uh, obviously domestic and abroad. And uh, there are a lot of stories that you've told me, but only portions. I don't even know what you're going to talk about today, but where do you want to take us and where and what story do you have to tell? So this week we're going to South Korea. The year is 2011, and I'm teaching English in South Korea. Are you still in school at this time? I am. I'm a university student, and the way I got to South Korea is a little bit funny because I had summer plans of doing math research, so I have a math degree, and I wanted to do a math research program. But I just found out about them right before the summer and it was too late to apply or I didn't have enough time to kind of get all my references in order. So I was really bummed about not applying for one of these research programs. I wasn't sure what I was going to do for the summer because I had been so busy studying that I didn't really plan out what my summer would look like uh, if I hadn't gotten one of those programs. Was it a study abroad opportunity that you were looking for or no? No, it wasn't. So that's the funny part is that the math research programs over the summer, they're typically domestic. They're typically not in the city that you live in or study in, but they are typically in the U.S. And so it would just be going to a different university, doing a research program over the summer and having a body of work mathematically to display for a future employer or if you want to continue your studies to higher education getting a PhD or a master's degree got it so as you can imagine 
this is very different <laughs> than going to South Korea. So I was a little bit bummed and I was thinking, what am I going to do over the summer? Because I wanted a job. I wanted to go do something. I do like to travel. So just going anywhere outside of my day to day and kind of getting out and experiencing something new, you have these summers and they're some of the only times in your life that you have large chunks of time to go do something. And where were you living at the time? I was living in Phoenix, Arizona. So not necessarily the best possible summer situation where it's 120 degrees, one may say. No, not the best place to spend the summer. I mean, it's a great city, but 120 degrees for three months is not as ideal. So I'm in Phoenix and I had gotten an email about this program they were starting to send students as English teachers to South Korea. And honestly, I think I deleted or archived the email because at the time I was focused on the math stuff and I didn't think twice about it. If I'm super honest, I wasn't necessarily, it wasn't that I was uninterested in South Korea. I just didn't know much about it and I didn't know the language and I just assumed that it wasn't something that kind of fit my background as a language student. So I kind of ignored it. But then after I was bummed about the math stuff going through, the obvious choice is to go teach English in South Korea. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> so I remembered that email. For some reason, it popped into my brain and I was like, hmm, maybe I could consider this. So I pull up the email and there's an application process. I, as I said, I don't know any Korean, but there aren't a lot of Korean language students in the university. So that gives me a better chance. This program it pays for everything so oh, it pays cool. you to it pays all of your costs and expenses to go to Korea and teach in Korea for the summer but it also pays you a small stipend on top of that so all expenses paid and that's an ideal situation for a college kid <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah you're trying to find ways to have experiences or travel and not have to pay <laughs> So I go through the program levels and I get accepted, which is very exciting. Now I have a plan for the summer and I'm going to South Korea. I had never been to Asia before, so this is my first time in Asia. And I have no idea what to expect because in the U.S., at least at the time, we had a lot of knowledge about Japanese culture when we think about East Asian cultures. But Korea wasn't really as popular. Today, it's pretty popular in our culture for its fashion and for its music. And food. and food and makeup and beauty like there's so many influences of Korean culture that now is kind of a hot spot but back in that time no one from the U.S. really went to Korea unless they were a teacher or military so that was also true when I actually visited even in Seoul the capital city you would not see any foreigners unless they were military or English teachers. It wasn't a very big tourist destination. I haven't been back since, but I imagine now it would be very different because it is so popular worldwide as a cultural influence, or at least it would be slightly different. Probably a wide awakening to go. I mean, did you have to plan a little bit different for it? Or like, because you hadn't even gone yet, you're, you're, you're accepted. Like what yeah. like, in your mind is like happening? Yeah, so I have no idea what Asia will be like. They definitely give us some hints, but it was a brand new program for my university and I think for the U.S. in general because the program was put on by the province's government. So they paid for all of us to go over because they really value education in Korea. It's very culturally important to them. So they paid for their students in this more rural area to have these English teachers from the U.S. who are native English speakers 
come and do these summer camps for them. The good thing about it was though, that since it was a program that was so sponsored that I really didn't have to worry about transportation Mm. or meals or anything. Like I did try to learn a little bit of Korean before going because I just wanted to be able to communicate, especially with my future students. But I didn't have to worry about the typical kinds of things that you worry about when you're planning your own trip or your own vacation where you're like, how do I get from point A to point B or where should I get my next meal from? I didn't have to think about any of those things, which was really nice and was different from the typical trip to a location because the program did everything like they bought our tickets they picked us up from the airport they took us around they took us to the hotel they would take us to breakfast and lunch and dinner they took us everywhere basically so it's a blessing and a curse because we didn't have to think about that at all but to be honest the camps that I taught for the students in the summer were in the middle of nowhere they're basically in the middle of the woods on a mountain and If someone bet me $1,000 to try to find that location on a map, I could probably spend hours or days looking on Google Maps and I would not be able to find it because I was just bust everywhere. And it was also so rural. It was just in the middle of nothing. Yeah. So So you're not going to, you flew into Seoul, but you're not staying in Seoul. Correct. So the layout of the program is we fly in and out of Seoul because it's the biggest city and it's the easiest, I'm sure, to get flights to if or maybe the only to get international flights to. And then we do about a week of touring. So as part of the program, which is really nice of them, they take us through Seoul for a couple of days and then they also take us around some parts of Korea. Mm -hmm. So the majority of the trip was in the province, which is called Jelonamdo. It's the southernmost and most rural province of Korea. And they really want to show off that province because the government are the people sponsoring the program. But they do show us some days in Seoul and take us around there a little bit and, and have us stay and do some touring of some of the temples and bigger sites in Seoul. So yeah, it's a very clean city. It's a very safe city. I read before I left, and I would say that this was true, that if you're in South Korea and you drop your wallet, it's more likely that someone will run after you trying to give you your wallet back than someone will ever try to pickpocket or run after you in a dangerous way. I think that people are very respectful, very clean, and overall very organized. So did this happen to you? Did you drop your wall and did someone come run after you? Because I mean, it sounds like, you know, from personal experience. No, it did not occur. But I would say that everyone was so nice and it felt very safe and Mm. very friendly. I never heard a story at that time of anybody getting any trouble whatsoever. And if anything, we had so many people come up to us and want to take a picture or learn about where we're from because visually Mm. they knew that we were not from South Korea. So back to the structure of the program. So we spent about a week traveling. We spent a few days in Seoul, maybe two or three, doing the more typical tourist things. And then they took us into the province and we spent a few days in a traditional Korean village, which was a really cool cultural experience because we got to stay. It was a tiny, tiny village where the majority of the people that lived there worked in the fields. So the sad part was a lot of them were elderly folks, especially women, 
and they had very bent backs because their whole lives they've been working in the fields and they're bent over picking things from the harvest. And so I stayed with a woman, for example. We all stayed in a homestay and there was usually two or three people per house. And these houses were absolutely gorgeous. They're traditional Korean houses. They had huge slanted roofs and really beautiful paintings on them and they had been restored by the government I think to be a historical town but the people still individually owned them and so this woman owned this house that I was staying in and she was so sweet and so nice and we couldn't really communicate that much but she like many of the citizens in the town had a bent back I don't know how to describe it but it was way more hunched than like my grandma just the average person it was like her whole body was almost permanently folded in half i can picture that i can definitely picture that yeah so that was the sad part of the village but other than that the people were so friendly and it was so cool to be in a traditional village because there was so little that they had but also so little that they needed there was no beds or furniture in these traditional houses everyone sits on a small mat on the ground to eat and they sit on a different small mat to sleep and that's how you lived in traditional korea there's no electricity like fans or anything even though it's very humid it's the summer they just have very basic things and it was a really cool experience after doing that we go to mokpo which is one of the bigger cities in this province that we're staying in and teaching in and we spend a little over a week there we spend a few days touring there because it's a city and we spend about a week doing teacher training so in this location all the english teachers from all the programs but there's equal amount of korean teachers so they're also university students who are studying english Mm. and they're going to be our co-teachers for our English summer camps that we're putting on. So the structure is tour, train, and then we have two summer camps, one for eighth graders and one for sixth graders. Mm. So the summer camps um, happen in these rural areas. So after the training, they ship us out in groups, smaller groups, and we all go to these very rural areas. And for me, my summer camp, again, was in this location where I could not find on a map if someone paid me a lot of money because it was just in the middle of nowhere. It was on top of a decent-sized mountain, <laughs> and there were three buildings. One was our dorms, where we stayed in one level and the students stayed in another level. One building was the classrooms where we taught class every day. And the other building was down this steep hill and it was the cafeteria where we would eat breakfast, lunch, dinner. So they bring us on a bus to this camp. And the fun thing about Korea, one of my favorite things is karaoke buses. So in Korean, the word for karaoke is norabang. And so most of the coach buses in Korea have karaoke on them because it's a very common hobby in Korea. And a lot of Koreans are really good at singing and really proud of being impressive singers when they go to karaoke with their friends. So this is pre-carpool karaoke phenomenon. This is just an average day. This is like a coach bus Mm. with a whole karaoke Mm. system. So it's like instead of watching a movie on the coach bus, Mm -hmm. you watch the lyrics and the the Uh. silly videos in the background 
background for all these songs. And they have a whole catalog, just like you would in a karaoke room, of songs that you can sing. And they have usually two mics that are hooked up to the system in the bus so that the bus is moving, but people are standing up and singing karaoke. And it is the most genius idea (laughs) that anyone's ever come up with because I can tell you that bus ride was probably four hours. And it was the fastest bus ride I've ever taken because everyone was singing karaoke and having a fun time. And especially our Korean co-teachers were all amazing at singing and it is a great invention. And I don't know why all of our coach buses don't (laughs) have Nora, like they call them Nora buses too, which is a play on words. So I don't know why all our coach buses aren't Nora buses. Yeah, you can make not only that, you could have karaoke planes, karaoke buses, karaoke boats. You just karaoke (laughs) everything and then you're in a lovely, beautiful karaoke world. Exactly. Mm -hmm. The world needs to be more musical and why not have fun with it? Especially if you're a college student during my college years, at least I did a lot of karaoke. I would be all in. In fact, it's funny that you did. I don't know. I'm assuming that you sang. I did. Not on the bus. I don't think in that particular time, but we'd went to a lot of karaoke rooms in Korea, which are also very common Mm. and sang there. I like that. So we get to this place in the middle of nowhere. We settle in later that day or the next day, the students come and our camps start. And these are long days because students are in this quote unquote fun English summer camp. And it was fun, but they take school so seriously that the days were just so long for the teachers, but especially for the kids. I Mm. felt a little bit bad for them. So the interesting thing as well was that we were in these camps, but there was two of them. So in between the camps, we had three days. And during these three days, all the American teachers got to choose something to go do. The program would sponsor them to go do an activity, to fill these three days and relax between two of these grueling kind of summer camps, so you which had, was exciting. You had the eighth graders and the sixth graders, and there was two camps. There were separate camps. Separate yeah. camps. And then there was there was like some time off. In the middle. Just three days, though. Just three days. Oh, okay, got it. So it's like, so you, they give you a three-day break. Yeah. So you must have been exhausted at this point because it sounds like not only that were the kids up nonstop but you were up nonstop doing yes. lessons plans doing anything so I'm assuming that it's all relaxation kickback it could have been <laughs> okay so the interesting part is that the program which is amazing of them they give you options you have three options how you can spend these three days of break you can go to a hostel on a beach and relax You can go to a Korean homestay, so that's especially lucrative if you are trying to learn the language or just really want to learn more about the culture. And the homestay would be typically with a Korean co-teacher, not necessarily one from your camp, but a Korean co-teacher from a camp. So someone your age Mm -hmm. would be going home with their family and you would be staying with them and learning more about their day-to-day lives in Korea, which is a really cool cultural experience. And the third option is to spend three days in a Buddhist temple in Korea. Mm, Like an actual temple. Temple. Yes, a Buddhist temple where monks are living and staying and also very religious Buddhist followers and practitioners are going there. Got so it. pretty serious location. Stuff. And I know you, you're all about relaxation, kicking back. So I assume that you picked the beach. That would have been fun, but I didn't. So we had to choose this beforehand. I think before the trip even started, we oh. chose. And I thought about this for a while because they all sound really great. Like they're all very lucrative. And if I had the chance to do all three of them, that would be awesome. But we have to pick one. So in my mind, I am adventurous and I'm like, 
I want to get the most out of this experience. What's the most unique thing I can do that I couldn't ever do again? And I'm thinking, I can stay at a hostel on a beach a different time. And I can. And I could potentially do a homestay or find a friend to stay with in the future. But I probably am never going to get the chance to stay in a Buddhist temple again. Yeah, probably not, no. I checked the Buddhist temple off. Got it. Out of all those, not only are you in a place that's completely different than anywhere you've been, but also pick the option that is the most different out of anything else that you could do in this place that you have no idea where you're at. Yes. It is one of the craziest experiences that I've ever had, and that's why I'm telling it today. So I'm not Buddhist, but most folks from the program were not. It was for the cultural experience, and I think the temple was okay with people from other countries coming in this one situation. I don't think they often let foreigners come or non-Buddhist people come and stay at the temple, but in this situation, because of the cultural exchange, they allowed it. Got it. So there was about 20 Americans across all of the programs that went to this temple and stayed. And I think there were many more that went to the hostel or to the homestay. We show up to the Buddhist temple and I don't know what I expected from it. I did expect to learn a lot and I learned a decent amount about Buddhism, but I also worked a lot because a practice of Buddhism is to also not have much worry about self or not leaving marks on the world. So we were put to work. All right, so you weren't just observing the Buddhist culture. Because to me, I would imagine I'm going up, I've been to a few temples and there's this beautiful temple and you're like, cool, like I'm just gonna sit in this chair over on the corner while they pray or while they sit there in silence. I know it's, it's kind of what I imagine they're doing hymns or something. So you weren't really observing, you were in it. We were fully immersed. Mm. We were staying just as a committed Buddhist would stay at this temple. So on day one, we get there. They give us outfits. I like to call them jail outfits Mm -hmm. because they kind of look like an outfit that you would wear if you were in jail. They weren't bright orange. They were a weird brown color Mm -hmm. and it was like a vest and pants. And I would wear a shirt under the vest, but it was still so hot. It was the hottest time of year was August in South Korea and South Korea is the most humid place I've ever been in my (laughs) life especially in this province where it's really rural there's lots of trees and huge bugs that were crazier than anything I've ever seen in my life and so it is so hot and so sweaty and gross but yet you wear the same clothes basically the entire time you're staying there. So for us, it was only three days. But if you were a committed Buddhist person coming to practice at the temple and you were planning to stay for a week, you would wear these clothes the entire week. Oh, wow. So that's the first thing. We get our temple clothes, I guess. And right away, they I think it's evening. So they do a little introduction and they have us just jump right into the, the ceremonies that they do at the temple. Hmm. There are multiple monks that live and stay at the temple and the monks lead all of the ceremonies each day. So two or three times a day, you go through a lot of practices. So you'll go through prayers. We go to the temple. The temple has many buildings, but there's a main area where prayers and meditation occur. And everyone gets a small mat and you sit behind the monk and you are kind of in a kneeling position and you follow along as they pray. And so they do prayers for maybe 30 minutes to an hour, depending on the prayers. And then they do bowing. So in Buddhism, there are 108 
bows that you do. And when I say bow, it's not like you're standing and bowing over to someone. Like it's a whole body experience. It's like a yoga. It's almost like yoga. So you are standing, you get on your knees, and then you kind of go into a child's pose, what would be a child's pose-esque configuration on the ground, and then you come back out of that and Mm. stand back up. So that is one bow, and you do 108 each time you practice bowing. And we would do the bowing twice a day, once in the morning, once in the evening. So every evening you're doing prayers, bowing, and meditation. Meditation is usually 45 minutes of pure meditation, so there's silence. And it was really awesome because I got really good at meditating. But especially the first night when we had gotten there, a lot of us were tired and exhausted from having worked long days for the last week and a half, two weeks. And then we've been on a long bus ride and we're in this temple and we're sitting and meditating and it's quiet and peaceful and dark. And a few people in our program fell asleep. I'm assuming that is a no-no. That is not acceptable. Not okay. There's a person, I don't know if it's a monk, I don't think, I think it's just someone who's working at the temple but isn't a monk, who walks around. So the monk is leading the meditation at the front of the room and then everyone else, every other guest is following along. And if you fall asleep, this person who's walking around paying attention to everyone will hit you with (laughs) a stick. And so a few people got legitimately hit with a stick. Did you get hit with a stick? I did not. I felt close to falling asleep at some moments because I was really exhausted. You might have just been in a really deep state of meditation. Who knows? (laughs) That's true. So deep. (laughs) So sleeping at the temple, everything is communal. Sleeping is all in one room. So there's one room for males, one room for females. We sleep on the ground. Um, There's, I think, a small fan maybe, but there's... Mm. Maybe not even that. I don't know if they have electricity really other than some lights. And um, you sleep on the ground. You go to bed at like 8 p.m. because you get up at 3.45 a.m. So every morning they come in the room. Someone with a kind of like two sticks that are tied together comes in and claps, claps it and it claps together yeah like those clappers that you and get it's so loud. celebration like cluck, 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 cluck. yes except for this noise i don't associate with celebration i associate with fear that i have to wake up it's pitch dark and yeah. i just went to bed the one beautiful thing is every morning when you first get up it's so dark outside and all the lanterns are on in oh, the cool. main square and so it's just a beautiful peaceful picture of all these lanterns hanging out it's before anyone's kind of started doing any practice or talking that was super beautiful so we shower communally we sleep communally we have these lunches communally and we are doing all these crazy prayers and meditations all day long so the practice is kind of you get up really early you do a prayer meditation and bowing and then you have a breakfast at like 7 Mm a.m and this breakfast is so long it is like a two to three hour breakfast and it is the craziest breakfast i have ever experienced in my life so each time you enter this room that is kind of the cafe for the buddhist temple each person takes a bowl and the bowls are strategically all nicely wrapped they have chopsticks there's a nesting of a few bowls in them and then there's a nice cloth napkin wrapped around it perfectly you take it up to the front you put some food in it if it's lunch um, there's like a little bin where you can get some rice and seaweed it's very basic lunch and it's very basic foods but 
it's good. It's a good practice of just needing necessities and not anything fancy. If it's breakfast, you don't go through a kind of buffet line. Instead, you sit in two lines along the floor of the cafe and you face each other. So there's two long lines. And right at the top of the line sits a monk who leads the breakfast ceremony. Mm. So the breakfast ceremony is led. Everyone has their bowl in front of them. The monk strategically takes out, he unwraps his his napkin and he takes out all the bowls and places his chopsticks in the right place and then down the line come other workers of the temple and they serve you breakfast Mm. slowly so there's multiple small portions of the meal so they'll give you little soups or a little rice etc so the meal is very slow and methodical and the monk leads all of the steps the craziest part is that after you go through this very long meal you're tired you know you've gotten up early you're tired, you've been doing all these meditations, and now you've gone through a very long meal. You get a radish at the very end of the meal after you've finished everything. And the radish is cleansing. So you also get a bowl of water and you use the water and the radish to clean your bowls off. That's what cleans it. So you're cleaning the bowl and then it's clean for the next person. Mm. So With the radish as the cleaning mechanism yeah it's like a sliced it's a slice of radish yeah so it's juicy and then Mm -hmm. you're kind of using that with the water and a chopstick to clean out your Mm -hmm. bowls and wash them so that basically you're undoing what you did right Mm -hmm. so that they're there for the next person and the monk also leads that and shows you how to do it especially the first morning so we're all in two lines and what happens is you get this water in a in one of your bowls it's a small bowl of water that you use to clean it and then when you're done you put it back in the bowl and then when everyone's done cleaning a person comes on each side with pretty much a five gallon bucket and you pour the water into the five gallon bucket they go down each line and at the end they bring the five gallon buckets up to the monk and the monk looks in the bucket and if you have even a speck of food in your bucket The bucket is redistributed to everyone in that line and they have to drink basically the dirty water of everyone on their side because all of our waters have been combined and they could have food in them. But the point is to eat all of your food and clean it without any food getting food particles getting into the water. The water should be clean. Clean. So are the two sides competing? We're not competing. We're more survivalist like let's not have this occur because yeah. no one really wants to drink other people's dirty water probably not no it doesn't sound not appealing great. not at this hour of the day yeah. at like nine in the morning not a after way to you've start been awake for right. yeah a long time so the very first morning when we have this breakfast the other side has a speck of food in their five gallon bucket not good and I watch as they all get the dirty water redistributed to them. And they but have your, to side, drink your it. side doesn't have My to. My side is safe. Thank uh. God. I watch in fear as my basically my roommate in my summer camp also had chosen to do the temple and she was sitting across from me that day and i just watched in like pick the wrong side yeah as as they had to drink that and so every morning after that i would clean my own bowl and then i would actually drink all of my water from my own bowl even though i was like very full of water I would drink it because I was so fearful of contributing a speck of food to the group that Mm. I would rather just drink my own water and not have to. Is that legal? 
it's legal. Yeah, no one's forcing you to not do that. But oh, I see. Got it. So really, not everyone did that, but I did mm. because I didn't want to be the person who made our group drink the five gallons of water. But then, if someone else does, I know I'm not drinking my own, but you're already mostly not drinking your own water. But then, let's say that you drank all of yours, yeah. and then other people put it in there. Would you still have to drink it? Yes. So then you would do double duty. Yes. Did but you? I didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. thank, thank goodness it didn't happen again. I think everyone learned from the Learn horror quick. of the first morning mm-hmm. that that was a thing that they were very much against having happen again. So thankfully, we were never found to have specks of food. I will never forget that breakfast as long as I live. So after breakfast, you get a small break and then you get put to work. So one morning we got to weed in along the temple and it was so hot and the sun was beaming. And again, we don't have any electricity. We're in these suits that we've been wearing the entire time and we're sweating in the heat and we're weeding for hours outside. And in that moment, I think everyone who was working in the temple was like, why the fuck didn't we choose the hostel by the beach like we were all cursing out those people who chose the hostel by the beach because we were just like this is legitimate work and this is hard work it was exhausting in different ways you were supposed to be quiet and keep your head down anytime you walked around the temple quietness is uh, is very valued so you know you can't talk to people as much you're doing a lot of this meditation it is really good for kind of self-reflection but you're also just so exhausted and you're doing this manual labor And so it was a really great experience, but I can only say that now, having not being in the sun weeding in this temple. But it was overall a really cool experience. We did have tea with a monk one night, Mm. and there was a translator who translated questions that we had for him. And it was really interesting to learn because they do get breaks um, a few times a year, and then they just go out into the world, and they're like normal people with cell phones (laughs) and taking the train and it's kind of wild to think because they're spending most of their lives in this really serene quiet temple and being reflective and meditative and then to go out into the hubbub of the world again would be I think really jarring and fascinating if that were your life but I learned a lot from that experience and I definitely learned a lot about myself and a lot about meditating and just kind of what I will put myself through for the experience of learning about a different culture. Yeah. So probably not one of your more more typical travel abroad adventures, but something that really pushed yourself to the limit of what what you can do as a human being, because it sounds like you crushed it, essentially, (laughs) uh, to be honest. I feel like it now, but at the time, I definitely felt like, why the fuck did I choose this? But now that I'm many years removed from it, and even after I was like months removed from it, I was like, that is such a cool experience. And it's such a great thing to be able to tell people about and remember and, and learn about. But at the time, I was very much regretting it. <laughs> <laughs> so after that, I had another camp in South Korea, and it was a lot like the first camp. And again, it was really fun. A lot of crazy long days, a lot of time with students and um, just trying to teach them English as best as possible. And there was a lot of wild things that happened in those camps. But I think one of the most memorable things coming out of that trip was the Buddhist temple. Yeah, it sounds like a really great experience. So overall, it doesn't sound like you have very many 
regrets that doesn't sound like you have any regrets at all from doing it. So it's kind of, uh, you know, once you're committed, I guess you're there, right? You're in the Buddhist temple, so you can't really go anywhere and you're there in Korea. So you're not really going anywhere cause you don't have a cell phone yeah. too. So it's pretty, pretty awesome. I mean, especially for your first trip to Asia, just to be so different. So the, at that point, were you all in on Asia? Yeah. I mean, it was an incredible first country to go to in Asia and I learned so much and Korean culture was so fascinating to me and it was so different because I hadn't heard that much about Korean South Korean culture before I had lived there and so I absolutely loved it and I would go back in an instant Uh, as I mentioned I haven't been back since but all the people were so nice and friendly and it was just an amazing experience. I learned a lot about how fun it can be to go into an experience not having expectations or not necessarily having experience in that culture or that location. Previously to Korea, I had traveled to a lot of places where I had took time to learn the language or learn the culture and I knew what I was looking forward to and I knew what I was excited about and that's really exciting too to kind of hype yourself up on this thing that you're going to go see or go do but I didn't really know what to expect in Korea and it blew my mind in a totally different way which was really cool yeah the great unknown exactly just showing up and going yeah so Heather I know that you often end your stories by asking your listeners some questions and well, we will come back every 10 episodes and I will come up with a different questions. Uh, I figure we would start off by just asking what you ask everyone else, which is, you know, what do you love about traveling? So my favorite thing about traveling is how much I learn about my own country and my own home, which sounds really counterintuitive. But I think I learned early on that by traveling to a culture that's super different from mine and learning about people who seemingly come from the other side of the world or come from a very different background seemingly we have a lot in common and I think that by learning small differences in other places it really teaches me a lot about my own home country and my own culture not only in my country or my state or my city but in my own life that I've put into place in my day-to-day so I really love reflecting on what differences mean for other people in other places but what they also mean for me and and kind of taking that back to my own life and reflecting on how I could do things differently or improve things or even be grateful for what I have in my own life every day because learning about other people means that you learn a lot inherently about yourself even if you don't always realize it. Beautiful. Well, thank you for letting me interview you and come on to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today and for being a guest and being on the other side of the mic. Yeah, I loved it. I can't wait to come back in 10 more episodes. Hey Globetrotters, thanks for listening to Trinspo, the travel inspiration podcast. If you want more Trinspo in your life, you can visit us at Trinspo.com. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter, where our handle is at Trinspocast, or email us at Trinspocast at gmail.com. Also, when you have the chance, please head to Trinspo.com slash review and leave us an iTunes review so that other listeners can discover our podcast too and get inspired for their next adventure. Thanks for coming along for the journey.